Amen. We're in a series called Dividing Walls, Breaking Down Some Strongholds in the Church of God. We've talked about schisms and denominational schisms and church preferences. We've talked about racial divides and political and cultural economic divides, even family divides, the Hatfield versus the McCoy divides in some churches, uh, and all of those things combined. And the next uh, wall I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning is the generational divide that often occurs in so many churches in America today. That is the divide of traditional uh, church and modern church, or traditionalism and modernism, or contemporary church. I remember growing up uh, in, in the 90s, there was this big divide in our uh, specific church about whether or not to take the hymns out of the pews and going to the overhead transparency slides. How many people remember the overhead transparency slides in churches where you have to slide that little, you had that folder of all the things and it'd be projected on a white wall somewhere? And you would have thought that that was the end of church as we knew it, how people responded to overhead transparencies and seeing things on a wall. And I remember when I grew up where we had Southern Gospel was a big part of our heritage, and then we transitioned into some of the more modern, uh, more contemporary songs. And there was just this tension uh, between generational experiences with God. Uh, now, I, I believe... And I grew up that way. I, I, I look back at my uh, heritage of growing up. I, I love hymns. I love that Southern Gospel heritage. I love modern stuff. But I just remember that was a big deal in our church. And recently, I had the opportunity to every month go check in with our youth. And I sat in on a small group night, and they gave me the senior high youth, the older youth. And I, we were at, talking about what church was and what would you do and how would you do church. And I pulled our youth and asked them, I said, well, if we were to start in Gina, Louisiana today, how would you build a church and what would it look like and what would you do? And they began to tell me they would build this building and, and it would have black walls and black ceiling and they would have lighting. And uh, this is what Pastor Heath would be wearing, not this, but they, they had some more hip clothes picked out for me and, and you know, how we would look and uh, then the songs we would sing, and it would be dim lighting and not light, uh, and, and how that would it work, and it said it has to be on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. It cannot be 10.30, it cannot be 11.30, that 11 o'clock was the perfect time for them to sleep in late, eat a quick breakfast, get here to go back home and take another nap, and, and that was their, their idea of church, and obviously, you know, I have some differences with that interpretation, and you know, since the 1960s, America has been on a fast cultural divide. With the rapid increase of technology, the generation gap seems to be growing and growing and growing. Even now, as uh, I'm in my uh, middle, coming up on my middle 30s, right? Uh, I can, I look and I see the youth and there are things they say I have no clue what they mean. Or texting things and emojis. I got in trouble one time for sending an emoji to one of my youth. They said, never send that emoji again. That means something bad. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea. It just looked like something to me. I don't know what it was. But there's all this words and texting and lingo. And so even now, even in my 30s, I'm, I'm sensing this gap between teenagers who look at me as ancient and I'm thinking, I was just a teenager, not just a few years ago. But there's this divide with technology, and with it comes a culture war. With it comes a culture war. Because, for instance, what do you think of when I say good church? Oh, man, that's a good church. Or, I love that church, or it's a thing. What do you think? In your mind, do you hear a certain type of music? Is there pews or is there chairs? Is it well lit or is it dim? 
What's the pastor wearing? You know, starting off in ministry, uh, I've been in ministry about almost 12 years now, and I had to wear a tie, you know, and a suit jacket starting off. That was the culture uh, at our church that time. And there's two responses that you'll see even in our own community uh, with this cultural divide, this culture war, this separation, this generational gap. On one, it is to completely cater to the older generations because they pay the bills, they keep the lights on, they fund the church, they pay the pastor's salary. And so we're going to cater to them. And with that, you see one generation is kind of put out. And, and many of the once thriving churches, look around, many of the once thriving churches are now on life support. Is that not true? One, uh, Ed Stetzer, he's a, uh, a writer and a pastor uh, today in the Baptist churches. He said, you know, if the 1950s were to make a comeback, there would be all too many churches who could go on without missing a beat. That's true. For some communities in some areas that 1950 comes back, man, these guys are ready uh, for 1950. That's one thing. And you'll see today that millennials, that's those who are in their 20s and 30s, and a new generation, which is called Generation Z, uh, that is the teenagers of today. They view the church. Barna Research says, did a study on them and their experience of church. They said today the church is overprotective. They say it's anti-science. They say the church is exclusive to outsiders. They feel the church is a place where they are judged if they have questions or doubts. And overall, Barna found out through this study that many of them because of their parental involvement, had only a very shallow experience of church. They didn't grow up in church. They don't have a biblical worldview. In fact, in our own church here today, uh, we, our pastor Christian, he, he encounters kids who have no idea about basic Bible stories, no idea about the cross, or is heaven and hell the only ways, the only two options after life. These are people in our own community. Uh, this generation is falling away because of previous generations' response to church. The second response then, though, is just equally as bad. The second response is say, well, the young people are our future, so let's shift everything over to that side and black out our windows and do these types of services and get the laser lights and go this way. And then on that side, then what do they do? They end up shunning and putting out the older crowd, those who have grown up a different way and a different culture and a different time. And the problem is with each of these at the bottom line is that churches on both sides of that conundrum are failing, failing to connect. And last weekend, studies say that 43% of Americans claim that they go to a church, but in fact, only 17 to 20% of them actually did. For many today, church has become irrelevant. It's become something that's only when I'm conveniently able to go. It's been a tradition. Why, I think, is that we have made church about us. Church has been about us. It's been about my cultural preference from the youth's perspective and from the older perspective. It's, all, it's been about us. It's been about uh, confusing the gospel with my specific culture. You know, the Bible says that Jesus rejected the traditions of man, and he offered in this revivalistic approach a come-back-to-God mentality where he offered a fresh new perspective on timeless truths. And he put out all these added traditions, things that confuse the message of God's redemptive plan. And Jesus came and he made it so very simple. And the poor and the hungry and the broken received it. 
And that's, that's what we're talking about today, that relevance is, is not all of these things. Relevance is that the truth of the gospel will transcend all cultures and all generations. I don't care if you're in Africa, Fiji, China, Brazil, America, Hawaii, wherever, Russia today, the gospel is the gospel. And it is relevant to every person who will be broken enough to hear it and receive it. The gospel transcends culture. It's not about a preservation of something, and it's not about a modernization of something. It is about a transformation of someone. Do you understand? I'm going to say it again because the gospel is not a preservation, nor is it a modernization. It is about a transformation of a people who will call themselves by the name Christian, the one who are after Jesus Christ. So we're not in the preservation business. We're not in the modernization business. We're in the transformation business. Somebody say amen. amen. So let's pray through some dividing walls, things that are separating us from God, from one another in a lost world. I'm going to give two things today. I'm going to talk to you about the young people, and I'm going to talk about the older. Uh, and look in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, and we're going to talk about this. <clears throat> to the younger generations, specifically those who are under 50, specifically those who are in their 20s and 30s, Paul writes to his sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus, in his last years. And to this letter, to Titus, he challenges some people in the church who are in their 20s and 30s, and we could even add the teens into this, but mostly 20s and 30s. And he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, now Paul, he's on his way out, he's leaving a legacy of faith, and he tells that the older, he says, may encourage the young women. Here's young women. Here's what we're supposed to do, young ladies. Love your husbands, to love your children, to be sensible, that is self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. That means respect, so that the word of God will not be dishonored in your home. Likewise, urge young men, all right, listen up, young men, to be sensible, self-controlled, in all things, show yourself in his example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. Look at that. That matters. Purity and doctrine. Young people, purity and doctrine matters. Dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So what is he saying? To young women, he would say to us, what's important in a church? What kind of a church are you supposed to be building? What church is really supposed to be about is not the dark sanctuary. It's not the style of music. It's not the style of pastor. It's not our location. It's not our programs. And any of that church is about a people who are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It is about understanding how to live that out in a godly way. And he would say, Ladies, young ladies, you are to love and to respect your husband like Jesus Christ. You're to honor him, and it's through that God will bless you. And he says, even if it's difficult, we know that sometimes we don't have saved spouses, but God will bless you as you pray for your spouse. Even in lonely times, he would say, in lonely times, be faithful to your family. Don't go looking around. The internet is a, is a big place. There's all kinds of things to be looking around. There's other relationships the devil will put in your life and draw you away from the commitment you've made. But he's saying, be faithful. Be a good wife. Be a good mom. And he would go on to train your children in the discipline of the Lord. Don't give them everything they want. Teach them how to live a godly life. Set before them a godly example. Don't let them always get their way, but show them how to be a young woman of God. That's your job, young moms and young ladies. Then he says, young men, 
Be sensible. That's a hard thing to tell young men. Be sensible. That's not in their vocabulary normally. But he's saying, don't be led astray by your flesh. Your job is not to come in and look for your own preferences, but to be dignified, to grow up in spiritual maturity. A lot of times, guys want that place of authority. Guys want respect. They want ownership of a, of a place. They want to be, I mean, it's just a, it's a guy thing to just, you know, I want a good reputation. I want people to think well of me. I want to have some respect. Guys want respect, but he's what he's saying to these young men. Guys, you got to earn it. It's not just given to you. That'll speak to a young generation. Listen, it, you have to earn your place, even in the Lord, that spiritual maturity doesn't just come. You have to grow into it. You don't just get a position in a church because you're, you think you're all that. He says, guys, you have to earn your respect by your elders. Watch out what you say. What you say on Monday matters in your spiritual maturity. What you say uh, at home matters. He says, watch your speech and your behavior. Develop a reputation above reproach. And remember that one day you will be a leader. To Timothy, he goes on and he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, you're young. You're a young pastor. I can identify with Timothy. I became a lead pastor at 28 to a crazy church who would accept me. I don't know who they are, but man, they were out of it. But I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't accept a 28-year-old. It'd be hard for me to nowadays. But, but it, he's saying, you're young. You're a lead pastor. He says, but Timothy, don't let anybody look down on your youth. But at the same time, don't treat older men and women in your church and just mouth off to them. Treat them like a spiritual father and a spiritual mother. Treat young ladies like a spiritual sister. Treat young men like a spiritual brother. And show them a good example in how you speak and how you lead your life, that you are responsible for your own behavior. Don't look at somebody else and say, well, if they would have acted better, I wouldn't have mouthed off so much. Or if they would have done this, then I would have done that. He says, you are responsible for you. Amen? Nobody else is to blame for bad character habits but you. Nobody else is to blame for problems in your life but that, that would cause you to act out. He says that's your job. You're not to uh, grow. You are responsible for your spiritual maturity. It's not going to happen on accident. And there's going to be a blessing from hard work of humble and right living. This is not a popular message that you hear preached today. It's not easy to grow up and be a good Christian or a mature man of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit help you. And for young people, the message is simply this. Your today will determine your tomorrow. Your today and how you act, how you behave, the decisions you make today will completely determine your tomorrow. There are some things that you will do that may disqualify you from things later on in life. And no one likes to hear that. And sometimes everybody thinks, well, everybody gets second, third, and 18th chances. That's true in the eyes of God and His forgiveness. But doesn't mean you're always going to get that job that you think God ought to give you if you've been running around on all kinds of other things and other jobs. Is that not true? That's the way the world works. That's the way things are. He says, guys, from a young age, grow up in spiritual maturity because God wants to do great things in your life, 20s and 30-somethings. God wants to use you to move mountains, to shake your community, to grow a godly and blessed family, to bless your marriage for 50 years. But how you act today completely matters for your today will determine your tomorrow. Amen. Let's talk about the older crowd today. Look in the next verses, chap Titus chapter 2, verse 2 ver through 5. So young people, your today will determine your tomorrow. To the older crowd, specifically this is to the older 50 and up. This is who Paul's talking to. He, Paul told Timothy and Titus, Titus, 
You need to establish elders, men and women of good reputation in your church, people who can be pastors and deacons and elders, people who could be overseeing the church. And he says this to them, Titus 2, verse 2, Older men, you're to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, ladies, likewise, you're to be reverent in your behavior, not malicious gossips. Let's stay on that one for a while in many churches. Not too addicted to much wine or anything, teaching what is good, so that maybe that you can encourage the young women to love your husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, subject, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So what is he saying? Older women, ladies, saints of God, he's saying your responsibility is not to come to church and seek your own way. Your responsibility is not to come to church to even feed yourself up. Your responsibility is not to come to church and hope that everything will work out for your benefit. It says this, you are to show young women how to raise a godly family. That is your responsibility by becoming part of the church. You are to show them how to be a wife and a mom. You are to tell them about your experiences in life, difficult and good. You are to show them how to be dedicated to God and to their family. You are to show them how to overcome lonely times when their husband's away at work or marital problems are going on in their life and how to tell them not to turn to godly things. Because some of these people do not have spiritual parents. Think about it. There are many people in our church today in the church around America, that do not have a godly example before them. And they may not have a godly mom, but you, even if they're not your biological children, are responsible as a church family to be a mother to somebody else. Who are you mothering, ladies? What young person are you mothering? You say, well, I've been coming to church just for me and my family, and I'm not in relationship with somebody younger than me. Then you're in the wrong. Because you are responsible to disciple somebody else to the next generation. That's part of the commitment about being in the church family. And it could be a young lady at your work. It could be a young lady in a school, a classroom that you're taking at night class. It could be a lady in your small group or Sunday school or just a relationship with a neighbor. It doesn't have to be somebody in the pew next to you. But who are you mentoring as a godly woman to show them how to be selfless and demonstrate faith in all times? To the older men, I'll tell you this. He says even harder on you. He says, demonstrate a life that is balanced. Not a life that's going over these things. I'm going for my boats and my guns and all that can be good. But he says, don't be enslaved to worldly things. Show these young men how to be a balanced life. Show them how to be in church, older generation. Don't expect a younger generation to be more faithful than the older generation is to church attendance. Oh, I should have got a good amen on that one. Right? We complain about younger generations and how they don't come to church, but they're not going to come to church more than you are. They're going to be more invested in their Bible reading and prayer than you are. There's a generation standard here. He says, be a person worth respecting. Be sound in faith with a healthy trust in God. Be a man who will strengthen your family and a man who strengthens your church, not a man who's interested in his own pleasures and appetites. Be a man who is showing young men how to be serious about the things of God. Show them how to love people and show them how to persevere through life struggles. Men, you have a calling on your life to raise up another generation of godly men. I didn't hear a men say amen. Come on, men. Amen. You, we are responsible to raise up an army of God who will protect their families from all the wiles and schemes of the enemy. And it starts with us.
It starts with, you know how many guys? I used to work in a detention center for a year. I worked nights in juvenile detention. And not one of those boys, of 20 boys that I watched, had a man at home. Every single one of those boys who had committed a felony at 14 years old had a dad in prison. And if they come to a youth group or a youth meeting or a youth service and some by the miracle of God, they come into a church like ours, they need a dad to be a godly example. It is on us. If they come into our doors in our church, it's our responsibility to invest time beyond the Sunday morning service and be a man who can talk and lead into younger men. Somebody say amen. amen. So older people, here's our responsibility our today is their tomorrow. While young people, your today is going to determine your tomorrow, to the older, your today is their tomorrow. It is our time, older generation, it is your time to teach and to lead. When you get older, it is not your time to sit back and let, well, let the next generation come and let them sing and let them serve and let them do all those things. I've spent all my years doing that. No, 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 no. When you are at the prime of your life, you're in the older generation. You have learned wisdom. You've learned how to make mistakes and not make mistakes. You've learned how to hear God's voice. Now is the most important time for you to give it all back. Help people out. They, aren't know, they don't know those things, and, and they, you probably had a Christian mom or dad or grandma who brought you to church. They don't. They don't have a clue about who Jesus is, and it's our responsibility and our call at Sanctuary to have an intergenerational church. We must, if we want to survive these last days, we must have an intergenerational church. What does that mean? The early church didn't have youth groups. The early church did not have Kid church. I love kids' church. I love youth groups. We believe in those. But the early church survived Roman persecution, all kinds of persecution, without all these things that we have paid professional pastors to go over every age group. And we have a young adult group, and we have a kids' group, we have a preteen and a post, you know, post-teen group, and we have all these things, and we have a young men's and young ladies, older men's, older ladies, and we're all compartmentalized. But in the early church, it was not that way. You know what it was? That each generation was responsible to lead the next generation. You know, um, Barna surveyed the study group. Barna, they surveyed college students who had grown up in a church. And they said out of 10 students on average, they would only find three who had a healthy relationship with an adult at their home church. They're in college, they're trying to figure life out, and three out of ten had someone, not their pastor, not their mom or dad, had an adult in the church they could feel like they could call and talk about life issues with or problems or ask questions. That means seven out of ten kids coming out of our churches today have no one they can call when life gets hard. We have a discipleship problem in the American church. Why? Because it has been come and feed me. Come and meet my preferences. Come and sing my songs. Come and teach my way. And instead, we have made church all about us. And we're coming to get our fix and worry about our own problems and ask for all the prayers for our own problems. But we're never praying about other people. We're never sacrificing our time. That seven out of ten kids leaving the church today have no relationship with someone older than them in the church. I'm 
I'll give you three things to take home with us today on how we can walk through this together. And it's our values at our church, our big three values that Sanctuary holds dear to is grace, love, and truth. Let me tell you how that responds to an intergenerational church. And grace, that undeserved favor, helps us not that we're not hypercritical of a next generation that does church differently than us. We can easily worship the worship service and miss God altogether. We can come to hear a worship service and participate in a concert or hear a little good talk and a pet me up and go home feeling better about myself. And it can be all about the decor and the program and the style and this whole 1030 o'clock on a Sunday morning experience. And church can be all that to so many people. But it's not about fighting for traditional are fighting for modern. If we begin to get into these debates, we've already elevated a method into an idol that's already divided the church. But what we do is say, God, help us to give undeserved favor to one another. And that is to the young. Young people, you need to favor the old people. Older people, you need to favor the young people. It's not just one-sided. And, and in fact, it's, it's a, a word we call contextualization. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul comes to this pagan post uh, was pre-Christian world, a pagan world of Greek philosophers, and he comes to a place in Athens, Greece, called Mars Hill. And on Mars Hill, he has no way to relate. He's not in Jerusalem anymore. You know, he's not in Kansas anymore. He doesn't have the same illustrations he did. They don't have the same background that he did. They don't know about the Jewish faith. And he comes and he finds a temple to an unknown God. They are given all kinds of idols and worship and stuff to all these gods and say, well, if there's a God that we don't know, let's just make a, a temple for that. And Paul goes to that place and he says, there's basically, and some of it this way, he says, there's a God that you've been searching for and you don't even know it. And he would use that, that place as an illustrated sermon to bridge the gap into a generation that was lost and dying and going to hell. And church, that's what we have to do today. In a post-Christian world, that's what we're in. Whether we want to admit it or not, maybe America, when we went to church, we had prayers in schools and we had flags and we said things and we could pray. This is a post-Christian world we are quickly approaching that we, could, we have to reach across that aisle. I have to find something and be a missionary in this context. There's a reason that Pastor Christian and myself volunteer as substitute teachers in our local school system. And that's because I want to know their language. I am a missionary to a foreign generation. A, it's as if I was going to Africa or Brazil or anywhere. We should be learning the language, learning the music, learning the culture, and figuring out how I can reach across the aisle and give a timeless message that still saves souls to a lost and dying generation. We are responsible to contextualize the message. Just as if I was going to Africa, I would have to find out how to make the gospel relevant to them. Because it is. But I've got to package it in a way that they're going to receive it. And the same is true for youth and teens today. We must be missionaries by grace. And who are they? Who are these people you and I need to be missionaries to? Those of us who are sitting in a pew in a church today. Today we have the most diverse and global generation in the history of mankind. They are single parents. Many of them have been divorced multiple times. Those who are marrying are having children much later. Adolescence has gone on and on and on through college and technology. Many people are not marrying or having children into their mid to late 30s even. And that's different than previous generations who got married out of high school and had children. Life issues are different. 
Many of them have not been raised with good doctrine or theology. Christ is an idea or spirituality. They don't have maybe a relationship with a Christian to know anything about who God is. There are those who in this generation will have questions and they wonder, is the church going to be relevant to a changing world? Is the church just a place who judges others? They've grown up in a world that preaches tolerance as the rule of law. It's tolerance and and fairness to this generation is better than rightness. That's the law today, that fairness and tolerance is more valuable than truth or rightness or understanding right and wrong. It's more about tolerance and fairness. And we can be uh, upset about that and we can be different with that and we can be uh, uh, critical of that, but that is the missionary context that we have before us today. Truth is relative, and so many are confused. And one author wrote this. He says, they don't know Isaac from an iPad. I like that. They don't know Isaac from an iPad. They don't know what the Trinity is. They don't know what the Lord's Supper is. All these words don't make sense to them. They don't know. So we can't change who they are, and we can't complain about them because it's going to do no good. But we can ask ourselves, am I a missionary to a new generation? Have I forgotten what it's like to be without Christ? Am I disconnected from hurting and broken people? Uh, I brag on Miss Evelyn, just this last week or so, she went and toured our Celebrate Recovery ministry and just came back with just a freshness of, man, I've, you know, you kind of remember how broken people are and it breaks your heart. You just come away from meetings where people share their life struggles and just weep with them. They think, my gosh, I had no idea how hard life was for some people. We need to have compassionate, grace-filled hearts for people who are broken, who are hurting and get down on their level and say, how can I understand where you are, what you're going through, and communicate the love and grace of God to you? The next is love. You know, style and preference are not the marks of a true church. Love is. You can have the best music and teaching and preaching and programs, whether it be Southern gospel, whether it be modern contemporary music, it doesn't matter. The successful church is a church where love is. All of our personal preferences and styles are meaningless. What should church look like? It should be a group of people who love and serve one another, no matter their skin color, their age, their wealth, their political affiliation. Why? Because His kindness has changed us. His love has filled us. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit, and both sides of any argument can be wrong if they're not motivated by love. It's not about being right. It's not about being right. And, and my opinions or my arguments, it's that through this process, I want the love of God to increase in both of us. That's in a marriage, it's in a relationship, that God's love must abound in us. And, and that we understand that uh, we're not here to have meaningless controversies, Paul said. He'd go on into Titus and say, don't be about strife and put out disputes in the church. We're, we're getting our eyes off the gospel and Jesus is coming back soon and there's people dying going to hell and we're arguing about carpet and song choice and all these preferences that we have. But he's saying, guys, it's not about us. In fact, it's about people who aren't even here yet. It's about every empty seat in this auditorium. That's who this is about. That Jesus left us and he gave us one mission. Go make disciples. I love the Lord, I love the world, he would say. I died for them. I give you authority to reach a lost and dying world. That's our one charge. 
And we do it by serving one another in love. You could ask yourself, are you really enjoying one another? Across the aisle, different generations. It's hard to love some teenagers, I know. But can you enjoy them? Can you see each other as God sees them? Young person, can you see that older person who likes different music and styles and church differently? Can you see them in the way God sees them? Can we be a safe place for people with doubts? Can we talk about different perspectives and cheer one another on for the sake of the gospel? Can we take off all of our masks and just be broken people who need a Savior? And not be about all this denominational breaks and, and relationship and all the uh, preferences of church and how we do it. Just say, look, we are all broken, sinful people who need a Savior. We all have, I don't care what continent you are, one of the things that's challenged me as I go to missions trips is no matter where you go, people are people. People are hurting and broken and need hope. And that's where we are today. And lastly is this truth. There's a lot of things we can disagree on whether it be generational, denominational, or political, or whatever you want to find a difference for in this world. This world is all about divisions. There's one thing in the church of God we can agree on, is that there is a timeless truth. There is a good news of Jesus Christ. And while relativism is good, it's only a tool to proclaim the gospel. That's our goal. And church is not a funeral home. Church is not a country club. Church is not a corporate business. Church is not a concert. Church is a people of God who are born into sin, who have cried out to Jesus, who have received the grace of God that has come through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming on this earth, dying for my sins on a cross, being buried for three days in a tomb, rising from the grave, who has given us his identity through the Holy Spirit, and we are awaiting for his glorious return. With that, I will stand with you to my dying breath. That is what we have in common. That is what holds us together, that there is a Jesus, a God, a Holy Spirit, one church who is waiting for his glorious return. Amen. There is a hunger in this generation for more. But we've got to teach him. We've got to show him what sound doctrine is, what it means to passionately pray, what it means to be devoted 100% into the kingdom of God. And I'm praying for both sides of the aisle. Let's wake up. Let's see what God is going to do in these last days. And let's just be all in, united together, young and old, and saying, God, come, Lord Jesus. Let's save this world before he comes. That's our goal, right? Let's be together in grace and love and telling the truth of God. Be the church. Joel said in these last days, he's going to pour out his spirit on both young and old. That's what we're here for. Young and old, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking hand in hand to see the church of God grow, the kingdom of God increase. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Miss T, would you come back to the piano? I want you just to close your eyes just for a second. And on our way out, I want you to think about some ways you can apply this message and take it home with you. Some of you today... God might be calling you to be a youth helper or a kid's helper. Some of you are already coaches of sports teams or cheerleading teams or different clubs in your community. How can you use that position to be an advocate and ambassador for the gospel? How can you reach young generations where they are? I pray for you if you're involved in our young people in their schools or maybe you're a tutor after school. Maybe you have children who come visit your kids, their friends, 
How can you adopt one of your children's friends and be a role model to those kids who are coming over to your house and having sleepovers or whom your friends, who your kids' friends go hang out with and, and all these things? How can you be invested in the friends of your children? Maybe it's coming to things that we have at our church, like our student suppers, where young people are coming to get a free meal, and you can just say, hey, I'm going to sit down and get to know these kids. I'm going to sit down at a table with people across the generational gap and just begin to understand where they are and ask questions and tell them about my life and my story. Maybe it's coming to things like our family nights, where young families are coming in and getting to know our church, and you'll just be invested and say, I'm going to invest my time, my, pray, my praying, my, my communication beyond the Sunday morning experience, and just find a family or a young person God is calling me to. Maybe it's a young man or woman trying to figure out how to be a Christian. Or maybe you would want to go serve together, talk with one another, demonstrate life simply before somebody else that God is calling you to. We can't save everyone, but God can lead you to one. You might be overwhelmed and say, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a communicator. I don't understand how to do that. God can give you one who you can understand and you know that, that I'm responsible to be an example for this person. He said, go make disciples. Young person, your today will determine your tomorrow. Older person, your today is their tomorrow. How are you giving it away? How are you giving it away?